From now on, the war cry to remember shall be up against the wall, mill chauvinist pigs. Welcome to Divisive Issues, comic book podcast where we talk about comic books. I'm Ryan Lynch. I'm Cy Crapo. I'm Phil Mavrikis. And I'm Daryl Steffen. Welcome, guys. You want to get social justice warrior up in here? 60 style? Not particularly, <laughs> but I'm here. I'm stuck here. Oh, you got a problem with Daryl? Should we, should we read some more Edgelord books? Oh, man. Between the two, I'll take the social justice <laughs> issues. Well, we're going to read the most ultimate Edgelord, Stan Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Since we still have Daryl captive, we can just subject him to whatever we well, want. People will argue that back first time, Stan Lee was very uh, radical. Those people uh, are me. People could say he he was uh, the Garth Ennis and Mark Millar of his time. I wouldn't I say that. I, <laughs> really? <you would? laughs> Imagine one day if people look uh, people. You know how uh, Stanley's in, in every Marvel movie. Imagine people look at Mark Millar the same way. Like, oh look, it's Mark Millar. We love him. No. Oh, Mark Millar's in this rape porn <laughs> cameo. He's in. the father of like the Edge Lord comics. They're like, oh man, he, his stuff was so good back then. Okay, guys, <laughs> guys, can we please stop talking about Edge Lords? We're not even doing Edge Lords in this book. <laughs> We've been, like, taken captive by them. It's Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> Mentally. Well, so what are we doing uh, if not Edgeworth stuff? <laughs> okay. So, hearkening back to our early days of doing, like, a compilation of related but, like, not part of a series issues. And by early days, we mean one episode so far. Yeah, but a while ago. Early day. <laughs> and we're going to do some old 60s. And Are they all 60s? Uh, some of them are early 70s. Okay, but so 60, they're close mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, so 60s and 70s Marvel issues where they tackle such, uh, in I guess, mostly just sexism. That is, there's a racism, too. There is and, a little racism. And when you say tackle, they like, they're like quarterback or like football player style, like jamming it into the wall and <laughs> just like beating the shit out of it. So they're like, they there's very little... Uh, nuance when it comes to these well issues. we should uh, I want to just give a little backstory on comics at a time for people who don't know so uh, we had uh, DC DC for at a time was basically making silly stories about Superman getting turned into a cat and stuff like that very low substance stories about uh, you know we're gonna say, get angry letters from Joe about that so I... yeah. oh yeah uh, bring it on bitch uh, <laughs> And uh, so basically, what DC was doing substanceless stories. Uh, the characters weren't much of characters. They were largely just like, oh, I'm a good guy. I And uh, the stories were just episodic, like stories of them getting to wacky scenarios. And when Marvel came onto the scene, they uh, broke, they uh, changed a lot of things by making uh, the characters more flawed. They, each character argued with each other, they fought with each other. They were not just, I'm a good guy and I'm a good guy too. Batman, Superman, working together, be like, I'm heroic, I'm heroic too. It was like, Thing and the, the human torch would fight and like uh, a lot of uh, inner squabbling would, would go on. We poke a lot of fun at like the the current kind of cliche of like the heroes fight and then they team up. And even though it seems like not groundbreaking at all, at the time when Fantastic Four came out in November in 1961, having them just argue with each other and not immediately be like we're together teaming up to fight justice, no, no to yeah. fight for justice. <laughs> By social justice. For yeah, was, was, justice. Yeah, fighting for justice. Was very unheard of at the time. And having, like, characters disagree on the best way to approach things was really ahead of, like, really a totally brand new thing. And they only even did that because Marvel was going to go out of business and they were like, Stan Lee, do whatever you want. Yeah. 
And uh, Stanley, uh, we have our opinions on him, but just to um, describe him a little bit, he can be wordy. <laughs> and uh, I do want to bring up though. Uh, Sly, you are talking, and I, you are, I'm listening to you talk. Now I have to think about what you are saying. And, uh, just to uh, explain, the Marvel method at the time was basically to make the uh, images as exciting as possible. A lot of times, the artist basically Stanley would give a basic outline. Uh, the artist would draw uh, based on that outline. He basically plotted out with his art. And then Stanley will will put a shit ton of dialogue afterwards. He loves describing what is happening yeah. in yeah. the scene itself. Uh, at the time, it was it was very more colorful than what you would get from DC at the time. And one thing uh, too, Stanley's writing style had we look at it as really really campy nowadays, but it had a lot more charm and humor than regular comics at the time. Like even though they talk a lot. They actually, like, crack jokes or, like, point out when things are ridiculous. And that's something that, like, was totally not a thing until Stanley. Yeah, most characters, most books were played straight by the actual cast. Like, uh, and, um, and I'll just give him a back of Sven Stanley. He was very good on uh, racial issues. Uh, he, he had uh, a lot mean of... By, what do you mean by good? Like, he had uh, <laughs> some of the fir- earliest black characters, like... Black Panther oh. was the first black superhero. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Luke, Cage Falcon... was Af- Luke Cage was the first African-American superhero. No, the Falcon was. Oh, so Falcon. And then Luke Cage... But that's also Stanley. Yeah, also Stanley. But uh, you, had, you had that, and you had, unlike uh, DC, you, you were actually, as time went on, you have more and more uh, black people in um, supporting roles. You had him as uh, Robbie Robinson in Spider-Man, the, one of the editors at the newspaper. Uh, and you will have just random people on the street be different minorities, and that you'll never see in DC. Yeah, and, and one thing, too, is especially... We haven't talked about any Golden Age comics on this show, but when you look at like comics in the 40s and 50s, they're pretty, pretty racist in caricature of everything. And yep. just having like uh, Ant-Man's lab assistant or Spider-Man's boss being black characters was really like a big deal and like we see that a lot now when people talk about like representation in hollywood and like at the oscars it was a big deal and like people are still having this fight to just have diverse casts of characters and stan lee while it was still mostly white there were leaps and bounds ahead of the status quo for him i mean you have to think he he's from what brooklyn yeah queens and 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 almost every seems like almost every Marvel hero is from New York City or the Tri-State area. Yeah. So, like, when, when, when they're hanging out in Manhattan all the time, it seems like it would be not just, like, easy to... Like, you kind of would have to include a diversity. Uh, like, you would just, think that, but you would think that. that's not the case. Keep this in mind. Uh, at this time, around the time these books were published, Star Trek was, like, the first show to ever have an interracial kiss, and it was boycotted... Uh, when the episode aired, because people the people in the South refused to air black people kissing white people, so you might think, oh, this is obvious, but this is still in the midst of like the civil rights struggle. This is still in the midst of a massive. Racism people still in the South. protest things when like characters get the race, like races of characters changed, or like yeah. when there's still like that push for like PC, like how come this commercial has to have a black person and a white person and an Asian person? Like it's this, and this was 50 years ago. Yeah. So uh, get, 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 after all that fun stuff, let's get into the boring stuff <laughs> of the actual goofy writing that Stanley does create. Yeah. So we're going to start with Fantastic Four number 11, which has two stories in it. We're only going to talk about the first story. And it's supposed to be like a day in the life of the Fantastic Four. It's called A Visit with the Fantastic Four. 
And there's a lot of stuff in here that is just so silly. Like, it starts with the Fantastic Four walking through the city, and they see these kids playing. And I just want to point out, the kids are, like, playing as the Fantastic Four, and one guy just has, like, really long planks of wood, and he's like, I'm Mr. Fantastic. I'm all stretchy. And the thing just has a bunch of pillows under his shirt and, like, a, a rock mask. A guy impersonating a thing, not a thing. Yeah, like, they're yeah, all the little kid, kids. The kid thing. The Human yeah. Torch has firecrackers. And the reason why I bring this up is it kind of sets the stage pretty well. That they're all, like, running around and jumping. And then the the, the young girl just hides behind a pole and is like, you can't find me. I'm the invisible girl. So even... <laughs> we should clarify. This is before uh, Sue Storm had force powers. All she could do literally in every fight was hide. Yeah. And also, we should also clarify, Stanley was very progressive on racial issues... As we get into this, we'll see he's not not that progressive on sex, sexism issues. <laughs> I want to say sexy issues. Yeah. He tries to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, all, all these books we're going to read, they they try, I think. But they they fumble so badly that I... When you say he's progressive, it's like, I'm like, I guess for the time he was. It's just... Well, you want to get to the actual meat of it first, and then we'll talk sure, about it? Sure, sure, sure. So... The Fantastic Four shows up, and, like, the kids are all like, oh, you guys are so great. And it's supposed to establish that, like, they're, like, they're not the X-Men. They're beloved in the city. Like, everybody loves them. Nobody's mad at them. And they, when they get there, Willie Lumpkin, their mailman, gives them a big sack of mail. Like, fan letters. And Fun fact, uh, Willie Lumpkin was played by Stanley in the movies. Yes. So, like, imagine <laughs> he's just Stanley. Was that the, that was one of, that was a very early Stanley cameo, right? That was a very early one, yeah. So they go up to the apartment and they're dumping out like it's like hundreds of like packages and fan letters and they start reading them and the first package is for the thing. (laughs) (laughs) What's in that package? So he's like, he he opens his box. Well, he's about to open the box and he's like, there's no return address. I hope it's something to eat. I'm starving. And he opens it and it's a boxing glove on it on like a spring and it punches him in the face. (laughs) <laughs> and he gets so mad. And is this... You might know better than me, Sly. Is this the first Yancey Street prank? Uh, it's one of the earliest ones. It's definitely one of the earliest ones. And this becomes a long-running gag for decades and decades, where Ben Grimm's like childhood street where he grew up uh, is Yancey Street, and there's a gang that just pranks him all the time. Yeah. And I think this this is Fantastic Four Eleven. This might be the first one. And they're just so mean for no reason. And then... Reed's like, don't worry, I got something that'll cheer you up. And he pours a vial of, like, some sort of liquid in Ben's hand, and he just turns back into a human. And this is yep. something that Sly complained about a lot, that I agree, that in early Fantastic Four, they they didn't really, they weren't ready to accept that, like, they being Marvel, weren't ready to accept that the thing is just a monster forever. So he would always be turning into a person and then turning back into the thing by the end of the issue. And sometimes it's done really well. This time it's not. But it's just randomly done there. It's randomly done, and then then Sue Storm just like, "Ooh, hey Ben." <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, fuck me! I'm gonna fuck you now. I think yeah. She basically yeah. just like starts flirting with him, and she's really cute. I think because to get into their backstory, Ben wanted to show what he looks like as a person. That's my only guess. Why? It yeah, happened. it's to frame it. But the only reason why I bring it up because it's not—it doesn't have anything to do with discrimination. But the reason why I think it's so funny, everyone's racist against Ben because he's wrong. <laughs> yeah. But Reed, Reed had the, like they just got in from the mail. That means Reed's had this this cure for like a little while, at least an hour, and he doesn't mention it. 
It's like, a surprise. Ben, ben is yeah. a horrible rock monster. He's like, we'll go out to lunch, and then when we get back, I'll wait for you to get punched in the face. Also, what I like about him is that he says, welcome back to the human race partner, Reed to Ben, <laughs> as if, like, Ben isn't part of their team, but he's <laughs> yeah. the thing. They just, like, they begrudgingly accept him. Yeah. You're no longer a hideous freak, Ben. Yeah. They pretty much say that. Yeah, because it's, like, it's very, like, Stanley's introducing this, like, in, like in this book, not this issue, but whole, like, Ben struggling that he's a monster is something totally unheard of in superhero comics, but it's still handled in such, like, a hokey way. Yeah, uh, superheroes were never uh, freaks until uh, Marvel, really. Yeah. Like, X-Men and, and the thing. Like, and we think about, like, the Hulk and the thing and the X-Men, and, like, that's such, like, a super, like, Hero. common thing now. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't that way at all, like, before that. So now yeah. we get a big flashback that basically goes through, like... It's a Fantastic Four origin. Yeah, and so now we recap the whole origin, they go to space, they get their powers, blah, 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 and now <laughs> Reed's like... It cuts back to modern times, and Reed's like, you know, we keep getting this letter, and I'm paraphrasing here, and I'm really sick of this bullshit. <laughs> Of all, what you guys are yeah, saying. And Ben's, and Ben's actually like, calm down, uh, Reed. They don't understand. Reed just don't understand the situation of this. And of course, Sue's crying. She's and she's like, they were your adventures, the three of you, much more than they were mine. I keep getting these letters that I like. the team would be better without without me. And I'm just useless. And Which is very true. All she, like we said, all she does is turn invisible and hide. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, of, but the thing is, this is why it's so poorly handled. Because have Sue justify it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, instead it's Reed is the one that defends her. Because she's busy, like, crying, and he has his arm around her, and she can't look at the letter. Also, yeah. just write her better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can also just write her better. That's why Stanley eventually gives her force field powers, and, like, but... but That's why, that's why I, at the conclusion of every book, my opinion was, this shouldn't have been written. Like, the, <laughs> this, this doesn't need, this doesn't need to exist. It doesn't actually serve any social purpose. And it's not a good written book okay, anyway. Okay, so we, I have to get to the, the the crutch, though. The reason why I want to talk about this issue. So, it's very short. But Reed just says, maybe this will help them to understand. See this bust of Abe Lincoln? There's just a bust of Abe Lincoln behind him all of a sudden. I don't know why it's there. <laughs> Remember his famous remark about his mother? The time he said that all that he was, all that he had ever hoped to be, he owed to her? And he, he points at the viewer, like, at the reader. Lincoln's mother, and it zooms in on his face, Lincoln's mother was the most important person in the world to him, but she didn't help him fight the Civil War. She didn't split rails for him. She didn't battle with his enemies. And then Ben chimes in. In fact, if we printed Lincoln's life in our magazine, some wise guy would probably write in and ask why we don't leave his mother out of the story because she doesn't do enough. <laughs> and, then, and then that's when Reed goes... While we're on the subject of doing enough... He, he points out, like, a bunch of different fights as Sue did one thing. Two. And, uh, two fights. Two fights, yeah. and... Um, to be fair, it was only, like, ten issues before this. So yeah, I know, like but, like, but, the... but to, just to clarify, in, they will have, like, a story where Sue gets kidnapped and then the rest of the four have to basically fight <laughs> pirates and stuff. Like, they will do, like, a shit ton of things and she will do nothing. She would literally kidnap the pirates. She would hide, sneak across the room, and punch a button. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then... Basically, Ben gets so mad about it. He says, if you readers want to see women fighting all the time, then go see Lady Wrestling, which <laughs> really puts the icing on a cake for me. He's basically saying, like, you want to see strong women? Go watch a thing where women act like men. And Ben gets so mad that he turns back into the thing, because of course he does. And then he's like, oh, of all the crummy luck. And this is my favorite thing. Like, like Ben's like, oh, I'm still just a fucking ugly gorilla. And Sue's like, 
oh Ben, I'm so sorry for thinking about myself for once in my life. I should have just been worried about you. You were my man yeah. in my life. And then there's an alarm, and they the three of them run away, and they find a an alien spaceship, and they go in, and it's a surprise birthday party for Sue, and they give her a cake. Yeah, it was her birthday all along. They didn't mention it once. They're like, let's read these fan letters. And then, of course, uh, Stanley has to put in a sexist joke. Oh, my Su- God. Sue goes, I- I'm so choked up. I don't know what to say. And Ben says, first time I ever heard a female admit a thing like that. And <laughs> that's, that's, that's like really – the that, that sum, sums it all up, that every one of these sexism tackling issues, they're like – the woman at the end apologizes because yeah. she's like, like, like you said, I realize what a fool I've been indulging in self pity. So yeah. she realizes that she was wrong to want to be a character. And, and not then, only, not only does she start crying, and the two men are like, "Let me handle it," but he quotes a man talking about how great a woman was. Like, yeah. you can't give an example. Like, this yeah. is, I guess, when did the women's lib movement really like? It was around like this. It was time. around this time, right? But. Either way, I just especially the Ben makes uh, the Ben, the Ben that that the thing makes some crack about how women don't shut up at the end while yeah. she's apologizing for like feeling anything about herself is yeah. just so come on, and it's one of those things that like it would have been better for Stanley to just not mention that he doesn't know how to write women, but by dr- <laughs> putting it in the spotlight, you're like oh. This is the yeah. worst. If, well, if Stanley treated like he did with, with uh, one, uh, you know, minorities, where they're just regular people, but that just happen to be black, it'll be a lot better. Yeah. But we'll see it again when we get to the other Fantastic Four issue that has a yeah. specific thing that I want to point out about Sue. All right, so, Phil, you said you don't see why this book had a reason to exist. Yeah, so it's like, like we just said, if you're going to make an issue about how women are important and not non-characters but then at the end the woman just says I'm really like I'm sorry for taking any time away from the comic and then they make fun of women at the end and that's it's not like a one-off here like like the other feminist or (laughs) pseudo-feminist issues that we read they do the same exact thing where they're just like at the end they're like haha women and if you're gonna do that just just don't make this comic it doesn't doesn't what purpose does this serve but one of the things act- back then, yeah. like, the thinking is that, like, the, doing the jokes at the end, that's like a... Like, there was no casual racism or casual sexism. Like, it was just, like, it's just funny to make that joke. You're not like, oh, I'm yeah. contributing in a minor way to sexism or racism. Like, like in our context now, uh, on our PC bullshit culture, <laughs> it's, it's obviously uh, it's obviously brings wrong, wrong to us because it is wrong to do that. But back then, think about now how many people are tone deaf to what they, how, how their jokes are construed. I understand, like you said this before too, like um, comics at the time, like this is this is progressive for comics at the time, and I understand that. But like I think I brought this up to you the other day that I I feel like it's not a good enough excuse for me because like feminist literature predates this by far, and it, it was a, quite abundant too. Like you can find stuff like yeah, I mean Virginia was was uh, like Betty Friedan writing at this point? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah uh, I don't Virginia. think I don't think I don't think anyone will argue what whether or not this is justifiable in terms of uh, culture in general. But I think in terms of comics, it is because it wasn't that far off from what was in comics. But but definitely, no one will say this is not a sexist book. Okay, yeah, I I, I totally and I get that. It's just more like I feel like a lot of times it's easy to say like, well, for comics it's good. But to me, I'm like, well, comics were behind then because Virginia yeah, Woolf was writing in the 20s. Uh, you know. Kate Chopin yeah. was writing in the 1800s. Like, it's... If, if this was another writer, 
I would be more, I think, forgiving about it because I'm like, you know, they're trying. But, like, Stanley introduces the Falcon and it's not, like, look how black this guy is. Or he's not saying, like, sorry, I'm black, but I'm also a superhero. Yeah, like, white people are taking the show at the end of the day or something. Uh, we should also clarify that um, most comic, like, in general was confused as a conservative thing. Like, Superman and Batman were, like, conservative heroes. Like, not, not to say, like, the right wing or anything, but they were they were not viewed as... They were more, you know, traditional values and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And so when Marvel, Marvel was like the first any any superior book with any kind of liberal bent to it whatsoever. Like there was no like X Men like heroes or anything like that. They did suggest that minorities or other people are what we should be focusing on or whatever. So it's like uh, it's it's liberal it's liberal in a very conservative uh, environment. But it, for some reason, sexism is one huge blind spot for Stanley. I mean, Sue Storm it, didn't really become a good character until like John Burns run in the eighties. Yeah, like like comics are very even now. Like and Marvel, I, I wouldn't say Marvel made a really strong push for strong female characters. Unlike until like five years ago. I, I guess I, I should I shouldn't give too harsh on comics because it's just it does seem to be a thing not just in comics but in like nerdy entertainment in general like like video games have a big problem with sexism too. Oh yeah, it's a good example. Uh, video yeah. games are video games pieces of shit and the video game creators pieces of shit is because so many sexism in video some games. Of, some of them are. <laughs> some, some of them are. That's well, the, the last four years have been decent about handling it. And that's the thing yeah. is like we're saying like oh you know this this comic's really sexist, but like we're gonna talk about when they really lean harder into like feminist ideals. And sometimes it's even more clunky. Yeah. It is, it is I think. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. So let's transition to our next book, The Eight Monger, which will oh be read by Daryl. Okay, so... <laughs> so another Stanley Fantastic Four book. This one's issue 21. Yeah, this yeah. isn't about women, though. It's about, like, hate in general. Because yeah. the main villain of it that shows on the first page is the hate monger. It's a guy and basically... Uh, hold on, okay, can I just point out that the first ad is for bodybuilding and it's, I'll build you into a new athletic, mighty-muscled, all-male He-Man. So, I mean, that's the kind of advertising... I, 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 like, I like that Ryan interrupted the description of the cover and described the interior ad. <laughs> I thought you were saying the first page. Women, so. women always say, I just adore all-male He-Man. That's the quote on there. Yeah, so, like, that was the... This is an ad from a company not from Marvel. So, like, that's obviously the culture at the time, and it's terrible. Yeah, yeah that's who they're targeting, and that's what yeah, they think exactly. the boys want. But this, uh, so the main villain of the story is the hate let me, monger. Let me, inter- let me interrupt you, Daryl. Uh, I want to talk about the other ad. Yeah. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. There's an ad for x-ray goggles in here. Even Which, though I did interrupt you. So there are not... ads for x-ray goggles, and they let you see through women's clothes, so, like, come on. <laughs> the hate monger is a guy in a KKK robe that's, like, purple. And he's got a big H on his chest, and he's dressed up in chainmail with, like, leather <laughs> boots. And, he, and he's holding a torch. Uh, what's really funny is Reed and Ben's face in on this the first page. <laughs> they, have a, they have a splash page, and they show, like, the hate monger, and there's, like, fire surrounding him. And they have a fantastic floor floating in front of him, and they all look like they're challenged. Yeah, so way. all the art in both of these issues, uh, both Fantastic Four issues, is Jack Kirby, who's, like, hailed as, like... One of the greatest comic artists of all time. Uh, if good. you if you love uh, Stanley, you should love Jack Kirby because they co-create a lot of stuff together, and it's arguable that Jack Kirby was, was the reason why a lot of the stuff Stanley created was good. I only know them together, yeah, and I I, w- I would argue that uh, at this point in Fantastic Four, Kirby's art is still a little unrefined. Oh uh, yes, I agree, with and that. hasn't it hasn't hit the stride that like he's beloved for. 
Yeah, he didn't put enough giant machines yet. Oh, no, there's still a lot of giant machines, don't But worry. not enough, not every page. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Just for context, uh, Ryan was saying, fuck Jack Kirby. He puts giant machines out. I didn't say fucking that. Piece of shit. Well, hey, hey, slide the first page of the issue. There's a giant machine in the first page. Yeah, so that's why Ryan hates his comics. Giant <laughs> don't, machines I just said he uses a lot of giant machines. I love I, I love his giant machines. Me too. <laughs> yeah, Daryl knows what's happening. <laughs> okay, so. Speaking well, of where it's at. <laughs> yeah, get to it. So it, it starts with <laughs> the Fantastic Four, and they're each doing their own little thing. Reed's in his lab doing science work, and he's trying to figure out what is affecting, like, the moon's gravitational pull. And then it shows Johnny, and he's doing his own thing, which is throwing darts at a, a, a dartboard that has Spider-Man's face on it. <laughs> and the thing is just boxing Wait, against, you skip like, what Sue's doing. Oh, I, I'll get to Sue. The, thing, <laughs> the thing's boxing, like, a giant iron machine. Like, it's it, the only kind of... Um, it's a punching bag. Yeah, yeah. The only punching bag that can withstand his force. And Sue is in her own room trying on wigs. And she's <laughs> yeah. got like six different wigs. Look at the narrative. Uh, the third member of America's most colorful quartet is proving that a girl is a girl. Yeah, even but... when she's a full-fledged partner of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> I like that we were like, this issue's not about sexism. But wait, it kind of is. I always like to imagine whenever they have something like that, I always imagine like it was inverse. And it was like, oh, sometimes a man is a man. And then they show him, like, I don't know, like, chopping wood in the background. <laughs> Chopping off, yeah. I guess. The thing is, it's one of those things that it's, uh, it's like, hard to... It's hard to draw the line of where it's not okay because it's... A woman in a superhero team would probably care about her, her appearance. Yeah. It doesn't mean that every time she shows up, that if you're just showing her putting on makeup as her role, it's like... Yeah. yeah, and you also don't want to like paint the like paint her with the wide brush of like she can't do things that are considered feminine by society standards, right? But like you have to also have her do other things, and you shouldn't refer to her as a daydreaming beauty in the next panel. You can't you can't paint people as like a one dimensional thing and expect people to not get uh, annoyed by it. Yeah, they can they can do all the things that may be considered stereotypical in the context of a, a full character, a full person. But when like her role is be captured and put on wigs it's like yeah. yeah so basically they all go to see ben because he's making a big racket and he says that he's like taking out his anger because the crumb who calls himself the hate monger has been causing trouble wherever he goes and nobody can stop him because he's too smart to break any laws yeah so it's they go outside to go see this guy and it's just like the guy in his like purple kkk robe with like next to guys in green with torches and he's just spreading hate. Like, that's all he does. Uh, one, just a little context. Stanley and Jack Kirby both fought in World War II. So when they use Nazi imagery, like these yeah. guys standing around, like, you know, they have their arms out and these torches and hate mongers giving the speech. Like, Kirby was a Jewish soldier fighting in World War II. He created Captain America. Like, yeah. he did not use Nazi imagery lightly. Mm. That, is, that is interesting to know because it is pretty heavy-handed with him. He actually, when he created Captain America, neo-Nazis, like, this was in the 40s. I guess they're not neo-Nazis, they're just no, it was Nazis. Before, it was before World War II started. I yeah. mean, before America joined. Before America II. joined, yeah. They would, like, come to Marvel, and, like, they're like, we're gonna beat the shit out of, you know, the people who make Captain America. And he went downstairs, he's like, fine, fucking fight me, I'll kick your asses, because Jack Kirby's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So the, the hate monger's just talking about, like, we must drive all the foreigners back where they came from. We must show no mercy to those we, we hate. We must build a wall. Yeah, he basically yeah. just wants to kick out foreigners. Yeah. yeah, I can't imagine. I can't. I can't imagine someone existing like this. <laughs> yeah, and the Fantastic Four have a good response. They're actually agreeing with his un-American sentiments. He seems to have the crowd in a trance. It's unbelievable. Yeah, they're they're surprised because then the, the crowd turns on like citizens. They're like, "Stop! I'm a citizen, just the same as you." 
Could you imagine, like, a riot between protesters and hate mongers? <laughs> we keep dissing this book, but it's so relevant now. No. Yeah. It, it would be relevant if, if well, when we get No, it becomes <laughs> relevant because just no. like someone else, he points a gun at the Fantastic Four <laughs> and shoots them with a hate ray, which makes them hate each other. <laughs> so then they all start fighting each other, and they're all just, like, uh, using put-downs on each other. It's, like, the most silly... And I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. I like how uh, he, he, basically Human Torch is like, step aside, useless, to the, to the invisible woman. And she's like, who are you calling useless? And then she goes like she goes invisible and hides. So it's like, <laughs> no, she uh, turns invisible and then dumps a bucket of water on him. Also, I did not know Johnny had the ability to make a flame lasso to hold people. I didn't Yeah, either. he does. I like that yeah. idea that all Sue can do is to go invisible, but Johnny has flame lassos. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they're they're all fighting each other. They and, fight for a long time. Yeah, it's like four pages, or four or five. And so after they get done fighting each other, they basically say, like, I've had it, and they all break off and go their own separate ways. Because as Johnny yeah. says, I'm sick of looking at your ugly pans. And Sue says, I can't believe, I must have been mad to think I loved Reed Richards. He's just a big zero. No, but she, <laughs> she specifically got mad. They all forgot about me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they left her fine. <laughs> And uh, the, 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 the civilians point out, like, wow, Fantastic Four split up and just didn't leave, left the Haymonger completely alone. And Haymonger's like, ha, 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 I, I win. Yeah. So Reed goes back to the, like, the, Fanta- the Baxter building, and then someone's been beating up everybody, and guess who it is? It's <laughs> Nick Fury. Yeah. His old war buddy. This is uh, Nick Fury's first modern appearance. He was a World War II character uh, who fought uh, alongside Captain America. So he goes to see him because they need to go to, where is it, San... <laughs> sand. He goes sand. No, sand gusto. And it read. I like that Reed's looking at that giant machine. Yeah, there's a giant machine. Like while we're talking, Reed's just checking out giant machine, saying, "Oh, I'm just, I'm just shooting off some nuclear activates while we talk." Yeah, and then Nick Fury's like, "Hey, what's with the mad scientist bit?" <laughs> and, and Ryan got super mad, like reading this, like, "What the fuck? It's a giant machine." So then, um, also, we, why are they going to send? Uh, Gusto, this fake country, to to help overthrow the government or whatever, right? They're yeah. they're funding rebels or something. No, no. Yeah, that's that's also something we would never do. No, yeah, they do. They says Uncle Sam has been pouring billions into San Gusto to make it a showplace of democracy, but suddenly everything's gone nuts around there. No, because Reed defends the government, like he fights against the rebels. Yeah, the, Reed goes uh, to def- Reed goes to defend because the rest of the team hate hate him. When they show up later on, they go to fight join the rebels. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or it's like, we need to support because we're trying to establish democracy in this country. These rebels don't want it, so we have also, to... Also, Reed's, like, kind down. of a dick the whole time. That's important, because yeah. he yeah. has the H-ray. But he's because still, like, everyone... he's not, like, super aggressive. He's just, like, kind of a dick. Well, he's just, like, Reed every day. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yep. So then, Reed goes off, and everyone sees in the sky that's like, oh, that's uh, Reed's Good. ship. I can't believe the rest of the Fantastic Four team, they're all mad that uh reed is leaving and them. this is the perfect example of the just not subtle but like inherent sexism in the way they write these characters is the thing and johnny are like we're supposed to be part of this team fuck reed he can't go on without us we're gonna go and then sue does the exact same thing but thinks to herself my female curiosity won't let me sleep until i find out why he's taking the plane like yeah, yeah. what she could have the same reason as the other two guys that's why i like this like i've never heard of like female curiosity before it's like how's that 
different from. <laughs> and like Ben is with his uh, blind uh, sculptress girlfriend, like this character stuff a little bit there, while Sue's just getting a dress on. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So now we've seen her just try on a wig, try on a dress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's got to do what a girl does. Uh, yeah. 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 So then uh, they take off in their own ship to go there and then hate monger sees them taking off and it's like oh they have to be going to san gusto <laughs> so yeah. he gets in this uh subsurface like, missile at the fucking underground submarine and what i love it's <laughs> as an editor's note that says this machine is not as imaginary as it may seem it is reported that even now the russians are working on a similar vehicle powered by the reverse thrust of a rocket engine so remember hating foreigners is bad unless they're russians <laughs> and another point is there's no way that's true no way fucking russians are making a fucking rocket then submarine. what's great is it goes like under the ocean into like the center of the earth to yeah. the, the shortest distance it's just insane this is a rocket like sh- it's a rocket reverse shooting instead of blasting to propel itself it's blasting a hole for it to go through uh <laughs> it's really dumb i mean yeah. it's not the, it, like maybe there was a plan a blueprint for us like a prototype probably of this. not That's... probably not. I, I, I would like to imagine more that like that uh the russians like leaked that and it's like this is the dumbest idea we ever had let's leak it make them <laughs> think that this is a great idea let's and they'll make it instead. <laughs> it's very we possible, can finally actually. stop the fantastic four once and for all <laughs> So Reed's over there and he's fighting against the rebels in San Gusto. He reaches up with his stretchy arms and rips missiles off of a plane. Yeah, and my yeah. favorite, it's these guys walking on a suspicious blue road and they're like, what's going on? And then it's Reed's back. And yeah, as he starts so to like, wobble it around, they're like, flee for your lives. The road is bewitched. Yeah. <laughs> <Madre> de Dios. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So then he ends up finding the hate monger's lair. But as he's going inside, like, he gets hit by nerve gas, so he's, like, stunned but awake enough to listen to Hatemonger basically just talk to him about dominating the world. <laughs> yeah. And Nick Fury shows up and saves them, and then... Yeah, he kicks everyone's ass again because he's awesome. Yeah. It's just weird how he, like, single Like, he asks for Fantastic Four's help, but he obviously doesn't need them. I know. Why is Nick Fury in Fantastic Four's help? He's way better than him. That's a good question. Because yeah. it's in Fantastic Four and not Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos, so the Fantastic Four have to be there. Yeah. And I love this, too, how Nick Fury puts his gun to Hatemonger's face and he's like, give him the antidote or I'll shoot you. And he's like, okay. He gives him the antidote and then he's like, see ya. Whereas he could have just said see ya and not given Reed the antidote. Yeah, he, and, and just like Mark Millard's favorite nemesis, he hides behind bulletproof glass that comes out of the ground suddenly. Yeah. 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 So they find the antidote, and then Reed has to, like, trick the other Fantastic Four members into swallowing it. So it's just basically him wrapping his big stringy arms around them and shoving a pill down their throat. Yeah. Or tricking the thing to open his mouth, because the thing does not stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, they, they, when, he, when he does it, they, they don't just spit it out. They, they, they force to swallow it, I guess. Just like my girlfriend on Friday night. Oh, and then... <laughs> and then they're like, where's Sue? And she's invisible. <laughs> and Reed's yeah. like, I'll just make myself into a big blanket and catch her. <laughs> she's yeah. gotta be somewhere. <laughs> I like that, that she's just, like, invisible walking. She wasn't doing anything. The rest of them, yeah. like, Thing and Johnny are Storm. fighting Reed, and Sue's just walking around. Th- that's Sue Storm, though. That's, and, that's... like, no, but how did... She could be anywhere in this whole country, so he's like, I'll just be a blanket everywhere. They knew, like, Sue Storm couldn't fucking do anything. Yeah, like, she'd be, be by the men. Yeah, she she couldn't like start a militia anywhere or anything. To be fair, she she is useful because in the next page they end up meeting the hate monger again, and he's like he's attacking his forces are attacking Nick Fury, and Sue slips up behind him while she's invisible 
and grabs him before he shoots a hate ray at his at the Fantastic Four again, and he hits his own guards, who then shoot him. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's revealed that since the hate monger is dead, they're like, well, we might as well see who he is. And the guy with the giant H on his chest is Hitler. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. This is when I started reading the comic, I was like, this is going to be Hitler. Like, it's, it's so tone deaf, it has to be Hitler. But we should mention that the cover says, Don't you dare reveal the true identity of the hate mongers after reading this tale. And we kept that, we didn't tell Daryl or Phil who it was. And they actually do, they do hint toward him being Hitler earlier when Sue grabs him and says, Uh uh-uh, uh, blue eyes. And he has all the Nazi guards around yeah. him. So, and they, yeah. they say, We don't know if it's him or one of the many Hitler doubles. <laughs> yep, so they could probably just use Hitler again sometime yeah. later. And then Reed gives some quick thing about how... Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, Until men truly love each other, regardless of race, creed, or color, the hate monger will still be undefeated. Let's never forget that. And I love the caption, And Reed Richards' words shall, never shall be forgotten. Not while the stars and stripes still wave. Not while America endures. And this actually I wanted to mention because a lot of Stan Lee's, like stories with a moral like he has a Thor issue that ends like this that I absolutely love but they always have this like them really reiterating like hey don't hate people and that's one of the reasons why I those think... are commies yeah except commies yeah that's one of the reasons why I hate the Sue Storm issue so much the previous one that we talked about because it doesn't end with anything it ends with a sexist joke where Stanley usually is like hey guys remember the thing I'm saying I'm beating you over the head with it hate is bad or like racism is bad or like you know we should always strive to be better but uh, Stanley ends the other one with uh, "LOL, women talk too much." Yeah, I think though this comic was, in my opinion, worse than the other one. Because... Oh wow, really? I disagree. I disagree. So the reason I dislike this one more is because it, I think, where as I said, the other one shouldn't have existed. It doesn't do anything. I feel like this actually is a negative. It actually does the opposite effect. Where you're trying to preach, this comic is trying to make a point against hate, right? Against xenophobia, but. They do it in a way that no one could ever be xenophobic and racist unless they were shot with a magical hate ray. And, like, the villain uses magic to make people be the way humans actually are in real life. And by, by like, making it, like, this, like, fantasy element, you're, you're pretending... It's like in, in, like, Lord of the Rings, like, when the bad guys are orcs and the good guys are humans, you're taking away the fact that humans can be dicks, too. I mean, I guess Lord of the Rings has dick humans sometimes, but... But they don't have good orcs. Right. You don't have, yeah. like... You're, they're introducing such a huge fantasy element, like... The only way that people could, you know, be like this is with a with with magic. Or they even they even with the San Gusto stuff, they're justifying all the American coups in South America by like on, the only way people would rebel against our our puppet governments yeah. is if they were shot with a hate ray. So all, oh, it's definitely is, the uh, product of the times of like pre-Vietnam. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think sentiment. A, a counterpoint to that too is it's not that I don't think Stan Lee went out to make something like with such a strong message about hate as much as he wanted to first entertain and then slip in that meaning as like a yeah. secondary objective. Because I think you're like you're looking at these as like failed and they they are in some way like failed statements on uh discriminatory issues, but instead it's just like he's just trying to have fun. And one thing I would like to point out is the target audience for comic books at this time was, like, 12-year-old boys and, like, kids. And, like, DC had a model where every four years you could rehash stories because our audience is all new and nobody reads comics after they turn, like, 15. 
So, like, the fact that Stanley's putting any social message in there at all is, like, is it done way better way later? Yeah, absolutely. But just having a message of, like, hey, prejudice is bad, like, and the hate monger, even without his magic rays, his legacy lives on when you hate your neighbor, is is pretty effective because how, for a young kid to, like, read into, you know, to, like, they're not getting any of that, really, from their, like, entertaining, like, silly, like, Saturday morning cartoons and stuff, that getting it in this way, I think, is kind of, like Daryl said, slipping in this message into what they think is just a fun superhero thing. I, I understand that. Like like you said, maybe he isn't intending for it to have, like, this moral thing. But it doesn't matter if he intends it. Like, it's there. And I think the, the fact that 12-year-olds are reading this... Like, this is literally the same decade when the U.S. is supporting, like, multiple dictatorships in South America. But it's before and the Pentagon Papers, so, like... They certainly was not aware of what was going on, Phil. Yeah, I'm That's saying, true. like, the public didn't know about these That's terrible true. things okay. we were doing. Yet. All right. This was a more idealistic time in general. Yeah, this, yeah. We're, we're not supposed to be communists. <laughs> Pinko sympathizers. And I'm not justifying it, but I'm saying I think, even though I'm not going to give this, at like, a fucking Pulitzer, but, like, it's... I think seeing how Stan Lee's style evolves over the 10 years that he was, like, the main writer at Marvel, this is him planting seeds and seeing how much can I get away with. Can yeah. I talk about racism? Let's try it in a fantasy way first, and if I'm allowed to do this and the public accepts it and the book sells, maybe I'll get more nuance later. That's yeah, kind of okay. neat. All right, I'll accept that. I, I, like, I wish, yeah. I wish he didn't have a hate ray, but you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. No, I definitely agree. Phil, I wish he didn't have a hate. Ray. I wish no one had a hate ray. <laughs> yeah, I wish Donald Trump didn't have a hate ray. <gasps> oh, Barry Anderson, you have your answer. So <laughs> let's uh, leave Stanley behind and talk about the guy who followed Stanley on almost all of these books, Roy Thomas. Sure, we're going to talk about the Avengers, guys, and issue eighty-three. Issue yeah. 83, and we're guest starring Black Widow and the Magnificent Medusa. And yeah. the cover is a bunch of female super people standing over the fallen Avengers, but I don't recognize like any of them. <laughs> uh, Black Panther, Quicksilver, Vision. I, I know uh, Quicksilver. And Goliath. Goliath. That's actually Hawkeye. He's yeah. Goliath at this point. Okay. <laughs> I was oh. like, who the fuck are these Avengers? That's, that's but weird. The cover is uh, standing over the giant body of Goliath. This woman saying, all right, girls, that finishes off these male chauvinist pigs. From now on, it's the Valkyrie and her lady liberators. And this is now 1970. Yeah. Just to give a backstory on Ryan Thomas, though. Uh, like Ryan said, he followed up on uh, Stanley on a lot of his books. His best stuff are his, uh, is his Avengers and X-Men. They take a lot of Roy Thomas's ideas and use them in Avengers, too. Like, he created yeah. Vision. He created Ultron. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so it opens up with, uh, Wasp, who I think is Ant-Man's wife. Yeah, just, hey, Phil, just like Stanley defining a woman by her husband. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, you, does, does the comic really define her as a person? I like that they do make a, the, the, a point of that later, Valkyrie does. Yeah. Um, this one actually had a, had some cool ideas, even though I feel like, again, this is a useless piece of trash. There is some <laughs> off pieces of dialogue that I'm like, oh, you do actually, you get it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. this might be, like, the second best of the ones. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I really feel like this is trash, too, but well, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm being too harsh, but let's get through it. So she stumbles upon, somehow, a meeting of a bunch of uh, female super people, and Scarlet Witch is there, Black Widow's there, Madame Medusa's there, I don't know who that is. 
And then she's like, hey, I'm the Valkyrie. Um, she says, come on in, the revolution's fine. Which I actually like a lot. I think that's cool. Yeah. And they're meeting in the Avengers Mansion. Uh, and they said, hey, this isn't the Avengers Mansion anymore. Now it's the Liberators. And that's how the story starts. Um, and so Wasp is like, what? I don't know what's going on here. And then basically there's a lot of exposition here where um, Valkyrie starts saying, hey, you know, you have invisible shackles which men have placed on you. And let me tell you my origin to tell, so I can tell you why I dedicated my life to the downfall of male supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> and she, it shows her working in a lab, and, you know, she's trying to tell the, the lead scientist, like, hey, I need your opinion. He's like, I'm busy, young lady. If I need a secretary, I'll ask for one. And then she goes crazy from this, and she's like, the, fa- the old fool, the old male fool, he lives in a dream world where men have all the brains and women do all the work. And then she's working so hard, she falls asleep with a smoking vial of chemicals in her hand. <laughs> <laughs> Typical woman, right? Yeah. Hey, that's how the Flash originally got his powers in the Golden oh, Age. Oh, my God. This this one was one of the first I read of this bunch, and I was like, wow, I really hate comics. <laughs> <laughs> you do that every time you read a comic, so. <laughs> Not every time, but some, a lot of times. Killing joke, wow, I hate comics. No, I like that. Anyway, so <laughs> she she smells this chemical, becomes, she has super strength after, after that, and then she wakes up and says, you know what? Male chauvinist pigs, beware. Beware the Valkyrie. She doesn't then, just see that. She lifts a car up to show you her super strength. Yes, yeah. true. And then um, Wasp is like, but why would the Avengers be our enemies? And she's like, uh, watch this screen. She plays a projector video <laughs> for them. And she's like, look, uh, Yellow Jacket and our Wasp are in action, but the male, as usual, grabbing all the glory for himself. And here, uh, Wanda, who's Scarlet Witch, um, you helped uh, you know, capture some hoodlums, and who gets the credit? Look what the headline said. Quicksilver and Sister Capture Gangland Thugs, written by a man, of course. This is actually my favorite panel of the entire book, because it's... we are literally seeing that all the time with the Olympics right now. Yeah. Not to was... date the podcast, if you listen to this later, but I keep seeing, like, wife of this person wins Olympic medal, and I'm like, fuck you, media. Like, you're the yeah. worst. Or, like, uh, Michael Phelps gets bronze in this, and then under it, it's like, first woman to get gold and whatever. They, yeah, it's like... so, like, this, this really rang with me. Yeah. yeah, this is the most, I think one of the most relevant parts is that when uh, a man and woman are involved in something, the man will get the credit more often than women. I think that is something that is... It's a very salient point. Yeah, it's not anything new. Then they go on to point out the Black Widow, like, wasn't allowed on the team for so long, and they're like, they let all the, they let uh, the vision in. They, you know, do you think Spider Man would be accepted before you? Basically, like women have to live up to a higher standard to make it in, you know, a a uh, patriarchy, and I'm like, okay. So then they, you know, they keep going on this. They're like, you know, all of us have been uh, sidekicks to the male characters, even though we're just as strong as they are. So let's go kick their asses. And <laughs> so they, they're like, you want to get in a car? No, we're gonna take a stallion. Uh, which are male horses. That's weird. But Yeah, I thought uh, it was weird that she <laughs> takes a chariot, like, commandeered by stallions. But then I was thinking it's, like, actually maybe it's about her, like... Slaving them. Commanding? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's fine. That's what she wants to do the men. She wants to command, commandeer all those stallions. Yeah. Can, can we very quickly skip through this whole thing? Like, yeah, the, the, the whole Halloween, Halloween party? But Doctor Doom is there. There's an Avengers Halloween party or something. Roy Thomas uh, is there with his wife. <laughs> yeah. Then, then the real Avengers show up, 
and they're like, hey, what's up? Let's have a parade of, what, Halloween parade float or something with the Avengers on them yeah. in person. Yeah. I don't know why they're in Vermont for this parade, whatever. And then there's, like, these C-tier villains that are going after them. Like, I, yeah. I don't know any of these guys. Are you calling the Claws and Radioactive Man C-tier? <laughs> radioactive Man. Look out, Radioactive Man. Yeah, so they're it's just, these fuckers <laughs> just come in and they're just like, let's kill the Avengers. They have this big fight. And um, you know what? I, the one thing I do want to say is they're like, oh, all these people are dressed up like supervillains for Halloween. We'll blend in. And they show up and they're like, we're not supervillains. And the team immediately goes, those guys are probably supervillains. Let's beat them up just in case. And like, why introduce <laughs> this plan for it to not work at all? Yeah. It's to show how smart the Avengers are. Also to show the Avengers are willing to beat up uh, people in, in costumes just to make sure they're not supervillains. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Then we have some uh, really shitty 60s comics fighting where you have a man who's dressed... His, he's, like, he's shirtless except he has a bullet head <laughs> and he's flying around after Quicksilver, speeding after him. And while Quicksilver's running at, you know, with oh, speed of Oh, it's Whirlwind. Whirlwind's awesome. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> Look at this panel. Look at this panel where he's Bullet Man and he's like, you're no Captain America. I'm going to beat you. And then Quicksilver's like, well, you might What's wrong with that panel? It's fucking awesome. Okay. The, the, the speed lines of action. This is John Buscema on art for the record. Yeah, this is awesome. Fill each shit. Fucking... Yeah, to be fair, I, I do like the action and all this stuff, but I think these villains are trash. They're trash. That's the they thing is, trash. I think that the, the art itself is portrayed really well. The action's great, but the costumes, especially Whirlwinds, is garbage. Sorry, Sly. Radioactive Man is like a green guy in a toga that has a gun. <laughs> what does he do? <laughs> He's radioactive. Like, fuck you. you know, they, radioactive Man sucks, but I do love Whirlwind. And cause... they also, while fighting, do the traditional, like, two speedsters are chasing each other, and while running, he's like, you possess my blinding speed and far more brute force, but not my maneuverability, as you may have read, like, shut your running at speed sound. <laughs> Like, do you need to be talking so much? Every comic has this, though. Yes. According to Phil, every comic ever made is shitty because people talk too much. To be fair, all these comics have at least three speech bubbles going on every panel. Per panel. And yeah. it's an action scene. Every comic sucks ever, quote from Phil. Chris no. <laughs> X-Men. Okay, okay. Uh, Guys, enough. Let's okay. get to the chauvinism. So, uh, the Avengers are, like... L- the radioactive people start losing Avengers start losing I don't know Someone's only losing. one man's radioactive though it's, radioactive the, it's, it's the Avengers that are losing in general so the women <laughs> yeah, come yeah. in and then so yeah the, the Valkyries the Liberators show up and they're like hey let's uh, let's beat up these shitty villains because they are shit fuck you whirlwind and she grabs Medusa Gra- <laughs> oh this panel is the best <laughs> they say fuck you whirlwind you're a shit villain Sly you have to look at this panel where the bullet is, the bullet man is flying around. Quicksilver is in a cannonball position, holding his. That's his fun, legs. God! You have no sense of fun. Oh, I'm going to fucking take this so seriously. Quicksilver, the fucking movie. Look, look at his fucking scenes in that. You're going to say, oh, this, this takes me out of the fucking story to have him slow motion save everyone from the mansion. This movie sucks. Fuck you, Phil. You and your <laughs> fucking serious shit. Out, 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 yeah, dude. yeah. Phil, Phil definitely would have loved Avengers two if Quicksilver cannonballed and bounced around. <laughs> no, but like, it's, it's a fun little fucking scene. You're going to fucking say like, oh, this is shit. Uh, that's uh, literally his job say, on the show. It is goofy. It's really it goofy. It's goofy, but it's fun. The Quicksilver scene, to, to, to compare them, the Quicksilver scene, is it is fun, but it is also interesting. This is not interesting. It's fun, though. Come on. Jesus it's, Christ. 
it's get... really okay. It's fun to you. It's not. Fun. It's not really fun. We're missing the fact that Medusa grabs the Bullet Man with hair and throws that's him. Her and power, the Bullet Man's that's dead. her power. I, I also want to point out this is literally one panel. Phil saying his book sucks. Stuke Silver was in a cannonball for one fucking panel. Wow. That's okay. not why the book sucks. That just <laughs> no. But when when he, when he when he first finished his book, he was like, "Man, this book sucks." Quicksilver is in a cannonball. Can you believe no, that? that? That's not what I said. Listen, listen to what I said. I, I was trying to paint you a picture where I look at this Bullet Man with half a body flying around, head first into Quicksilver, who's bouncing as a cannonball. And then the next panel, you have a giant man holding a tree and chasing radioactive man in a toga down the alleyway. It's like the the. The, the entirety of it was silly. You know, this is just like us men to do, is to ignore the women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the women show up, and they... So this is when Valkyrie, like, rounds everybody up and yells... Wait, not yet. They First they have to beat the villains. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, they beat yeah. the villains first. And then they're like, cool, they were pretty easy. And then they're like, let's just beat the shit out of the Avengers, too. Now that we got we beat one team. And uh, that's when they say up against the wall, male chauvinist pigs. And this isn't a word bubble. This is in text overlaid on the screen, and it's the only text in the panel. So given the context of all the lots of panel, it's a pretty cool panel. Yeah, and she's shooting like a laser, explosive laser out of her spear. And she says, you have uttered your famous Avengers Assemble for the final time. From now on, the war cry to remember shall be up against the wall, male chauvinist pigs. Much less, <laughs> much less catchy, but... Imagine if that caught on Avengers movies. I'll be as well, male chauvinist pigs. <laughs> it's way too long for that, but they um they beat the Avengers like so easily. In fact, I think she does it with just her lance. Um, and then they go to the we get traditional Avengers. comic book stuff where it's like they were trying to get this device that opens up parallel worlds, and it turns out Valkyrie, Valkyrie, do not call me that any longer. I'm actually. The Enchantress! Whoa, the Immortal is one of the Avengers' oldest, fiercest foes. And they so she basically got uh, the other female superheroes on her side, even though she's a villain, just to get this... Again, um, through spells, instead of, like, actually social gripes. Yeah, yeah. just to just clarify, Enchantress is, like, one of Thor's biggest villains. Yeah. And this is, this is why I said this book of shit, what's coming up now. Because they say, but where's her former ally, the Executioner? And she's like... The executioner dumped me for another woman. And at at that day, I realized all men must die. (laughs) Literally, literally the worst feminist trope you can do, that she's a feminist because someone dumped her, and now she wants to literally kill all men. Yeah, get revenge because of one man. And it's, it's, this is when I was like, oh, this could have been interesting, where you have, like, women being like, we're always sidelined. Where instead, nope, it's a spell that entrances the good guys the bad one was dumped and now she's this evil feminist who's just like I want to enslave the men are you guys excited to see Executioner and Valkyrie in Thor 3 yes it's not this that could be interesting yeah imagine if it's this exactly okay, this. keep in mind these characters went on to be different characters yeah. I-, I hope she says up against the wall male chauvinist pig in yeah that would be great uh, that would be pretty that would be a pretty good uh, like easter egg <laughs> <laughs> um and then basically she gets beaten immediately because uh, Scarlet Witch shoots her spell back at her. She vaporizes herself, and um, then they make fun of women again. <laughs> no, only only Hawkeye does. And Hawkeye would do that because Hawkeye always does shit like this. Yeah, and he's, he's, and he's he says, cock. "You birds finally learned your learned your lesson about that women's lib bull." But yeah. then the women say, "Like you're just a fucking idiot." Yeah, they say that's what you think, male chauvinist pig. 
one of these days Liberty will, make, have, will stage a comeback, right, Jan? And uh, Wasp says, you know what, Wanda? They just might at that. And that's better than having them cry in the corner and be like, I'm so yeah. sorry. I, I agree with Phil that uh, this has the same problem of magic and shit uh, causing the hate and everything else. But two things I think make this a little bit better. One, first of all, Marvel had enough uh, female uh, heroes, noteworthy female heroes at the time, to actually make a female team, which DC didn't have at the time. Second of all, they actually, at the end, uh, Hawkeye is purposely shown to be a dick by saying, oh yeah, all the women's shit is bull. And the women say, no, you know what, maybe Valkyrie was a bitch. They don't, but- they don't justify it, though, because like you said, it's good that he's portrayed as like the male chauvinist pig, actually, but if they had a rebuttal besides, like, Fuck you! Like no, they say like they say like we might go back to what we did before. Like we might do that for real. Maybe uh, this, this this portrayal was wrong, but the idea was right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I, I wish they made that more clear. And I do. I think this book would have been a lot better if Enchantress was like, like she really believed that f- females were kept down and was like, I'm I'm going to like change that. I will agree yeah. with that. Like the fact that she was like a fuck men from dumping me does make it worse. It's just like it's yeah. it's the most stereotypical thing that people say about feminists. They're like, ah, oh, she probably got dumped and now she hates men. Like, yeah. but it's like it's like it's like like we talk about. It's context matters because Stanley was good f- compared to DC, and Roy Thomas is a little bit better than than Stanley at this. Yeah, gotcha. definitely. It only took ten years for a woman to rebut a joke at the end of a comic. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then the re- the rest of the ads are just to be buff. <laughs> yeah. like so, uh, that was the first Valkyrie story. Now we're going to the first one I read. <laughs> the first Valkyrie story I read. And it is Incredible Hulk 142. By Roy Thomas and the art by Herb, Herb Trimp and John Severin. Yeah, just to explain Herb Trimp, because he's worth noting, he is the Hulk artist. He drew Hulk, more Hulk than anyone else, I think. Ever. I think so, yeah. And this is 1971, so this is soon after that. So the cover is Valkyrie holding Hulk in front of what looks like, I don't know, the big stone monument. And and she says... I, I think it's supposed to be the Empire State Building because of the... Oh, yes. Versus the oh, Chrysler. Okay. Yeah, so it's like one of the, one of the uh, buildings... Building's exploding behind them. She's about to throw Hulk off this building, and she says, "Every male chauvinist pig in the world will tremble when the when he sees the Hulk hurled to his death by a woman." <laughs> that's his. Uh, that Sly's woman impression. Yeah, <laughs> I am a woman. <laughs> Hear me roar. And it says Valkyrie's back. Yeah. So first page, uh, it's the title is "They Shoot Hulks, Don't They." Which is reference to a fucking movie. I don't know why it's named this. <laughs> and just to give some backstory on why this book made me so fucking mad when I read it, this takes place almost immediately after uh, Harlan Ellison's brief Hulk run, uh, which is one of the classic early Hulk stories where Hulk uh, shrinks down to atomic size and becomes and, and meets a bunch of green people, and basically he gets accepted for some of his life. It's called the Heart of the Atom. Yeah, and he gets it gets taken away from him for the first time. And so Harlan Nelson is a writer of I Have No Mouth and I'm a Scream. He wrote a lot of TV. He's a great writer. He wrote that great story. And then we have this fucking shit. Uh, can, <laughs> can I read the, the second page? Text yeah, sure. This is This was my first introduction to Roy Thomas. And this is where I was like, okay, this is a significant step up to someone that called like an enemy a crumb. <laughs> <laughs> So it says, for the great green behemoth, living symbol of man's inhumanity towards all that is strange or alien to him, it has been a tiring day, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. But now, even a moon-bathed night is not bright enough to keep a weary man-monster forever skulking in death-dark shadows, when he craves naught save the nectar-sweet boon of peace and quiet. 
and sleep. It's about him sleeping on the Statue of Liberty, like, basically yeah. in her hands. The writing yeah. is good, the narration, until we get into the actual dialogue very quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, like, his general narration writing and the stuff he does for the Asgardians is good, I think. That's actually very common in the 70s for me, where the narration is, like, really poignant and nice and, like, really well written, and then the dialogue is, like, super hokey. Yeah, yep. so, because uh, uh, Hulk's sleeping on Statue of Liberty, the next day everyone wakes up and like, holy shit, Hulk's on Statue of Liberty. And um, one guy's yelling, at the Hulk's up there, he's sitting on top of the Statue of Liberty. And one guy's like, hold down, Pete, not too loud. You can't, we, you might wake him up from all the way down at the base of the statue. <laughs> you might have super hearing ears. They're small, but powerful. Maybe, 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 maybe this police officer is Banshee. Yeah, know. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Banshee, shut up. So, 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 and it, we cut to like a bunch of this fucking This is yuppies. such a weird premise for this. It really is. Issue. This is really weird. It's like a like really upper class like Manhattan socialites that are like very wealthy and they're always throwing fundraisers and they're like, why don't we throw a fundraiser for the Hulk? I'd like <laughs> to think that this character is Lindsay Bluth from Arrested <laughs> Development. But they're like, militia, my player. It would appear that our social fortune is made. We've only to reach out and pluck the golden apple from the tree. And his wife's like, don't be a bore, Reggie, dear. Whatever Ugh. are you talking about? Why about the so-called Hulk, of course? So fucking ham-fisted. Also, it's great how he always calls his wife and his daughter my pet. Yeah. And uh, he's like, everyone who is anyone this season has given at least one fundraising party for some socially oppressed groups. The Panthers, the Grey Packers, even the Friends of the Earth, they've all been done. We are going to get such a party for the Hulk. And his daughter's like, can you do it for my women's lib movement? And he's like, no, I'd rather give the money to the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, his daughter looks like exactly like the Valkyrie, which is a hint for who she will be. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> who gives a shit? This book fucking sucks. <laughs> this is my favorite. Oh, I'm my God. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So General Ross, who is uh, the guy who always hunts the Hulk, uh, he goes. He's, to he's unimportant. Fuck him. Yeah, he is. But he's, 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 he's Balderdash. He's no, Balderdash Talbot. We still have another issue after this. Yeah. And so he's just there, like, say, "Fuck you, Hulk." He flies on a helicopter and just says, "Fuck you, Hulk." And he flies away. <laughs> That's what he says. No wonder the Hulk's always so mad. People just come over and go, "Hey, fuck you." Yeah. But um. Basically, uh, the rich people show up and they're like, oh, the, there's a police quarantine. And the rich guy's like, money has gotten us this far, hasn't it? And it will get us further. So he wants to, like, bribe the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. yeah and yeah. and uh, the, basically, the police are like, no, fuck you. Get the fuck out of here. The daughter is like, save the t- tonsil, mumsy, because your number one daughter, Sam, is a better idea. And she basically beats the shit out of a fucking cop. So. She throws him off the edge. Yeah. <laughs> like... And no one shoots her because she's white. But oh, Jesus. <laughs> also, also, he's the only cop there. They say that later. Too. Oh, okay. And he's like, "This way, folks. I love you both dearly, but you never were pra- very practical because beating up cops is very practical." <laughs> and, then, and and I love how the dad's like, "Wow, your women's liberation activities have had a detrimental effect on you, on your vocabulary." Yes. <laughs> now you're a cop killer. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. It's such a weird thing. Yeah. Whatever. This whole book's fucking weird. Yeah. So, so then uh, they go to the the you know the crown to talk to the torches where the Hulk is, and uh, they're like, "Oh, Hulk, oh, could you perhaps come down for a minute? Minute? Ah, moment." <laughs> and, and Hulk says, "Yes, uh, Hulk, say where Hulk is. Hulk like here on statue. Hulk love freedom and liberty. <laughs> no, but like basically says like I like being alone. Leave me alone." And um, and since it's the sixties, the uh, daughter Sam is like, "Dazzy, we're running out of time, and you're still still running in, sh- in Strikeout City. How about letting me have a whirl?" 
And the girl is just like, you know, people fucking hate you. Why don't you just find the place where you're wanted? And we want you, so why don't you come with us? Oh, because like, okay. And yeah, because like you, you, she says you can have your own country. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where. I don't know how much money they have to buy a country, but <laughs> yeah. Hulk says, uh, maybe you give me some place where no one will bother Hulk. No one will shoot at Hulk. They shoot Hulks, don't they? <laughs> but uh, Hulk will go with you now. Hulk will go with you, and uh, but but he basically make it clear that he only trusts Sam uh, Valkyrie, future Valkyrie, uh, and not the parents. And uh, basically, they bring the Hulk to the house, and uh, the parents are like, "Oh yes, we brought the Hulk down. We're great." And daughter's like, "How could you, Daddy? You took credit for everything." And the dad's like, "Now be fair, my pet. After after all, seeking out the Hulk is my idea. After all." And the daughter's like, "You're just trying to exploit him. Fuck you." And he's like, "Eat my shit, daughter." And he takes the Hulk, <laughs> and he's just like, "I can't believe my my dad said it. Even though he said he wants the Hulk just to get up on the social ladder, he's using the Hulk to get up on the social ladder. This is stupid." And and so we this come this, this scene coming up is one of the weirdest scenes I've read in a comic book. Ever. Yeah, mine too. This is after one of the best Hulk stories I've ever read. This is what I get. This fucking book, and uh, this, basically all the socialites are like in the room, and they're like falling over the Hulk, and they're holding a big party for him. It's literally uh, like a, a really upper class, upper east side Manhattan dinner party with Hulk, and yeah. not he's not even he's wearing his purple like fucking pants, <laughs> yeah. Like, and and they're like serving hors d'oeuvres, and they're like, oh Hulk, what a good they're, to they're see all just you like here. talking to him, fawning around him, like touching him. <laughs> I do actually really like how uncomfortable the Hulk is with all of this. Yeah, he's just like, leave me alone. This is a trap. Hulk will smash. Smash wall. And they're like, isn't he adorable, Elizabeth? He's been saying that all day. <laughs> I, I do understand where the, where Roy Thomas is going from, though. It's, it's a commentary on, like, fucking rich socialites <laughs> and they're fucking uh, trying to climb social ladder. But it's fucking stupid. Yeah, and, and like, Hulk dumping book. all over the people they're supposedly protecting. I don't know. I like yeah. it. Do you? No, I like. Yeah. I'm saying I like that. that I, I think this is like an interesting kind of like spin on the Hulk, where usually you just see him fighting stuff. It's like, what if like rich people really liked him because they're so out of touch with reality? It is. Like... It's the same thing when people have like help the poor fundraisers in like you know million just... dollar mansions and stuff. No, but or what like... I don't get is like the thing that makes it weird to me is like the Hulk here. Would he would he be okay with being in a place like this? No, ever? he wouldn't. That's the thing. This is this is okay. This is okay only if you don't if you ignore the fact it's Hulk comic. If you this is why it's different when you're reading like Daryl, like just somebody like oh, this is the story of the Hulk. I was reading this in continuity where Hulk was persecuted, hunted on on end, and then we have this fucking story where the government's like, okay, we'll let these rich yuppies have him, and they have these that's fucking true, jokey scenes. Like it just it's okay if like. If you're reading this if it's in a 60s DC comic, because they're always fucking stupid. But this is a continuity <laughs> where Hulk is always hunted, trying to find a place to live, and these fucking rich people are having him at a party and like, oh, isn't this posh, my dear? And yeah. they do, I do like, I do like how they're like, no, well, next week I'm gonna one up them and I'm gonna host the X Men and my fundraiser. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like, uh, I can understand Daryl liking it because if you read this in the bubble, it's, <laughs> I can understand Daryl because Daryl's an idiot. <laughs> But you, you like you like the like, concept. Yeah, I like the concept. Yeah. But like, it's like for me, the concept is, is to the judgment of the main book for me. Yeah, I can see that. But uh, yeah, so they're like, oh, uh, about, would you want me a movie Hulk? I've got the effect of gamma rays on man and the moon marigolds. And then the guy's like, back off! I want to be in the movie called I Am Furious Screen. But just a bunch of fucking movie references. <laughs> so they're having this dinner party. <laughs> 
and they're having a party, and then it turns out there's a woman liberation group is picking the party. Sam the leader, is protesting now. Yeah, the leader is Samantha, and the parents are like, how dare they betray us like this? Also, Samantha. I want to point out someone at the protest. Like, Sam's holding a thing that says, like, equal something rights for women. Yeah. And another woman's holding a sign that says, the hand that rocks the cradle should rule the world. I don't get it. Because mothers should be in power. I like, I like the idea that they're not, like, equal rights. They're like, women should rule the world. Like, it's always going too far in one direction with It is also lib. people that are picketing and protesting at a women's lib movement, like, big protest. I could see that. Yeah, and that's that, that quote is not, like, it wasn't invented here. Someone later on has a sign that just says, the Hulk is a sexist. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. yeah, they do. I missed that. <laughs> but though, Sam is like, why well, give parties for the Hulk while women are the real victims of society? Which I don't get. Like, she wants a party, too? Well, she wanted them to do the the fundraiser for Women's Lib, and they said, no, fuck you, we're giving it to the Hulk instead. I think the fact that her dad took credit for getting the Hulk down and, like, inviting him really peeved her, too. Yeah. I, I get that, but, like, it's just a weird thing to protest. Like, give us a party instead, instead of the Hulk. No, like, give us money. Stop giving money to this fucking, like, monster. But this, this is a fucking monster. Like, again, if you're looking at the context of the social message that Roy Thomas is awkwardly pointing in, it makes sense. True. But if you're looking at it in context of the world where Hulk smashes things every day and people <laughs> want to give him a fucking planet to live on, why not let him ha- do it? Fuck. Yeah. But, like, so, yeah. So, Enchantress, meanwhile, we cut to Enchantress out of nowhere. And Enchantress is like, I hate men, I hate the Hulk. I will make this woman to a new Valkyrie because I don't want to be Valkyrie anymore. And she makes Sam into a Valkyrie. Uh, she walks up to the, like, the Empire State Building and just yells, Valhalla! <laughs> yeah. Valhalla! Yeah. And she turns into the Valkyrie from the last issue. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, we come back to the party and they have the one funny scene I like in this book. Yeah, where, this is my yeah. favorite page. I, li- I like this too. <laughs> this one posh guy talking in the, in the front. Basically about how he's a fucking idiot and he loses all his money all the time and then he won the lottery anyway. Yeah, and basically in the background is there's an old waiter with old hors d'oeuvres walking around, and Hulk is trying to get hors d'oeuvres, but the guy just keeps ignoring him, walking past him. And eventually, Hulk just gets mad, just picks him up, and like holds him by by his uh, collar. And the waiter just has him has a whole batch of hors d'oeuvres, and Hulk just eats them all. <laughs> and Hulk just tips the plate and eats them all. It's really yeah. funny. I really it's, like it's a cute scene that works only in comics. But uh, basically, they make a hundred thousand dollars in cash and checks for the Hulk. And um, and there here it is, Hulk. Here's your freedom. And Hulk is like, this is just money, money and paper. What does Hulk have to do with scraps or paper? And like he doesn't understand that that gets that gets land. So he like throws it on the ground and rampages. Hundred thousand yeah. dollars gonna go buy my own country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could just fucking bomb the country for him. Like if this is any fucking cohesive. Well, he only it. wanted to do the fundraiser. He didn't give a shit about the result. Oh, that makes makes sense in that context. Okay. Uh, So Valkyrie, uh, as Hulk is getting mad, like, whoa, you just gave me money. You said you gave me land. Uh, Valkyrie smashes through the window and says, up against the wall, male chauvinist pig. Uh, Trademark, patent pending. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is great, too. She, she, for some reason, I mean, I know why, because Enchantress said she hates the Hulk, but, like, this this feminist thing now is now turned into, instead of Valkyrie fighting the people who were not giving women's movements any money she's like i'm gonna fight the hulk and to make it worse hulk's like hulk does not fight girls yeah <laughs> yeah i like that even like in his like enraged state where it's like it's hard for hulk to think as he says yeah um that he's like i can't hit women like that's that's too much well hulk has always been like the embodiment of like a giant boy child do, do boy childs not hit women or you, girls? you know like he's supposed to be like macho-ness with no intellect like i feel i feel more like like uh, like like how like giant monsters like Gamera and movies have soft spots for children and stuff. Like he has a soft spot for women and kids. Usually Hulk. 
I guess. Because they're all defenseless, weakly. Yeah, creatures. the weaker sexes. <laughs> That's the thing. Is like she's not like a woman who's like, help me. She kicked him in the face and has a spear, and she's yeah. like, I'm gonna kill you. So it's but, like, but, but uh, Q, my Hulk goes in the sixties, so he sees woman be like, help me. I'm I'm woman in my Stanley. I can't defend myself. Yeah. But yeah, Valkyrie's just like, oh fuck you, male chauvinist pig. And Hulk just like, oh, I don't want to fight a woman. So she beats the shit out of him really badly because she yeah. he refuses to fight her, and then yeah. she drags him by his hair to the Empire State Building. Yeah. And uh, she's like, oh, this is great. Uh, the mighty man, monstrous Hulk, a helpless heap of quasi-human rubble beaten beneath the hand of a mere woman. All mankind, every egocentric ma- male must know of it and tremble. So she, that's why she goes to Empire State to know. Everyone know that Hulk was beaten by a woman. Women can beat up men. I guess we need to... If, we, if men find that out, we will all die. <laughs> Such yeah. a weird... Again, so weird, like, to... T- to be like, you chauvinist pig Hulk, like, has he ever been a chauvinist? Like, I, it's... No. Women should be protected, not fighted. <laughs> <laughs> fighted. <laughs> fighted. I oh, speak no. good to me, Daryl. Sly's disease is spreading to Daryl. <laughs> I read so much Hulk, this is why I talk this way, guys. <laughs> Sly, read good. Okay, we have two pages left. Can we please okay. finish yes, this? Yes, yes. No, this is... This is, this is eternal. This yeah. is gold. This is gold material we're running through right now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so... Um, Valkyrie throws the Hulk off the Empire State, and then, but now, uh, the Sam, Sam part of Valkyrie realizes, no, I've thrown the human to his death, I can't let this happen, she goes to try to save Hulk. Uh, so, um, it turns out Hulk survived the uh, fall because he's the Hulk, and... Uh, yeah, so did then, she think that would kill him? I guess so. <laughs> and the uh, Hulk's still like, I'm not gonna fight a woman, and she's like, I guess I'll fight you again, so that whole scene, entire scene was pointless, but... To be fair, he does say... Hulk still doesn't want to fight a woman, but if you make him, then this time. Like, he finally yeah. gave up on, like, well, maybe yeah. I'll just fight a woman. But we don't even get to see him fight her. I give up on Chivalry now. Uh, you women will get what you want, and now <laughs> we are truly equal uh, opportunity. This is a commentary of what women should be careful what they wish for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now you get beat by the Hulk, too. But, this, um, is symbolic, this is symbolic of if women are in the draft, you know? Yeah, you're, exactly. by, you're fighting all these Hulks. Yeah, so... Yeah. But then this, like, this, whole, this, this whole comic's dumb, and it ends in a dumb way, because Chandra runs out of power... And so that makes Valkyrie turn back to normal, and it just ends suddenly. It makes Hulk turn back to normal, too. Yes. That so turns back into Bruce Banner. Yeah, and then they're like, who are you? Never mind, bye. Yeah, yeah, Hulk turns back to Bruce Banner, and I like this because he's just like, who the fuck are you? And she's like, I'm Samantha. And he's just like, oh, thrilled. Now if you're part of my bag, and he just leaves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he doesn't say anything again. Yeah. He just literally leaves, and she's like, that's weird. I had a weird dream. Yeah. So uh, the final issue is another Roy Thomas issue, and it's the X-Men. The strangest teens of all. Issue 64. And um, the story is... This is 1970, so it's still right around the same time as the other right Thomas yeah, issues. The story is the coming of Sunfire. And it opens up with Sunfire, who is a guy dressed in all red, and he has a Japanese imperial flag basically on his uh, chest. I hate his stupid face. Thing. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the World War II imperial government flag, not the modern Japanese government. Yeah. Which is important. It opens yeah. with him basically saying, oh, this country's full of ants. Soon they shall know the dread, the ominous dread of Sunfire. Oh, and it's Roy Thomas and Don Heck on art. Yeah, Don, Don Heck. Heck's an old, classic X-Men artist. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's, so the X-Men uh, detect a mutant on Cerebro and like, oh, we should investigate this. And just to clarify, this is the original X-Men. Yeah. Cyclops, Beast, Jean Grey, Angel, and Iceman. Yeah. So uh, the Sunfire is basically attacking... Uh, uh, a ceremony where uh, a Japanese, the Japanese prime minister, I believe, or delegate. I think he's the ambassador to the UN. Yeah, I think the, so. the ambassador yeah. to the UN, the Japanese ambassador to the UN, comes, 
and uh, he's like, oh, um, I have to give a speech. It's a speech for peace, too. It's like, we'll have all our, the young people in the world will have peace together. Yeah, and, and they're like, oh, that was a great speech. And Sunfire comes up and says, yes, perfect speech for a traitor. And Sunfire just fucking starts shooting fire everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And uh, everyone starts freaking out running, and the X-Men come to try to fun- fight some fire. And classic but, X-Men logic, they're like, maybe we'll finally get some good press for this, and this won't be like a controversial fight with deep moral implications. Yeah. And, but then Sunfire just kicks the shit out of them. Uh, he burns uh, Beast's face uh, and uh, outruns Angel as he's getting away. So then they're like, wow, we got fucked. And uh, now Beast is out of commission because his face got just fucking burned by Sunfire. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's like, it's like a little burn on his forehead. But he's out of action, guys. He can't fight anymore. I, I thought when I first saw that, the fact that his face was all red and burned, I thought it was going to be like this guy had radioactive powers and he got like radiation poisoning or like radiation burns, but no, it's like he got a sunburn. Well, keep in mind, in the 60s, radiation makes you easy power powers. <laughs> they also, like, oh, the yeah. 60s were pretty, uh, like, liberal with that kind of thing because, like, Johnny Storm usually got beaten by asbestos blankets. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they go, they, uh, Angel and Beast uh, go to Sky and Gene and they, have, they, they, t- they tell Beast, like, you're out of commission. We'll go. The rest of us will take care of Sunfire. And while they're recovering, uh, Sunfire's recovering with his uncle. And and Sunfire's like, oh, this, this feels wrong, uncle. Like, all this violence. I, I have to recap my origin to remember my motivation. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, have you forgotten Have you forgotten your origin? When they nuked us in Hiroshima, and you got superpowers from that as a mutant? Well, what happened was his mom was in the blast of Hiroshima. And she was pregnant with him, and she, she died. Yeah, um, she was, yeah. like, paralyzed and then later died in childbirth. Yeah, and she gave birth him. to Sunfire, and he, now he has fucking Shufire uh, out of his hands power. What's weird is that he had to go to the, the remains of the ruins and, like, touch them to get his powers? Yeah. He was a, do- he was a dormant mutant that he touched radioactive sand or whatever. And... And nowadays they explain that with uh, your immune powers come with puberty. I guess this was before that, like, you had to activate it's it somehow. And it's also they're going for the symbolism. Yeah, he's touching the sand of uh, Hiroshima, ignited the fire within him. I think that I actually think that's cool. I, I yeah, like, so I, I actually like him as a villain um, in like in it, almost every way. I like the fact that he he is Sunfire because you know Japan, land of the rising sun. Is, that's even the name. It's yeah. like he is the embodiment of like sun, and um, the fact that he does go to a big a big some might say crime was committed against. Maybe not crime, but a, 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 an atrocity was committed on many civilians in Maybe Japan. crime's a little harsh. Atrocity. <laughs> well, yeah, because it was, it was a great tragedy that you could yeah, really blame. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard, to, it's hard to, 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 you know, talk about that without it getting into a huge discussion. But, 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 um, but, but it was something that you would uh, rightfully, I mean, uh, justifiably be maybe a little bit bitter about. It's yes. a better justification than I got dumped. Yeah, and and more than more than bitter, if your parents were killed and your country was humiliated, it seems very like logical actually to have rage in your heart over it. Yeah, yep. and his uncle is uh, fanning these flames. Yeah, he's basically talking like, "Remember, they, they fucking nuked us. They killed your mom." I like, like that too. That he had like a parental figure that was pushing him in this direction. It's like, yes, yeah. we need yeah. to get revenge now that you have like these powers. I also find it extra interesting that it's his uncle because we meet his dad later. So I was like, oh, he must have been raised by his uncle. But then when we meet his dad, it's like. Like, oh no, that's even more interesting to yeah, me. Yeah, that was neat. Yeah. It turns out his dad is the statesman that he was uh, attacking. Yeah. The UN delegate. Yeah. So uh, the X-Men uh, go to uh, go to try to uh, track down Sunfire. Oh, can I can I bring up one point? Does Jean Grey have, like, 
she has tele- telepathy, right? Yes. How come they're like, I can't figure out which one's Sunfire? Can't you listen to their minds? Does she have telepathy yet or just telekinesis? She has telepathy at this point. Because oh, okay. they're like, they're like the one, one person in this crowd has to be Sunfire. And then they're like, well, we can't figure it out. She also she, isn't as good as Professor X. Like, she's I mean, not I mean, that strong yet. You have, you, have, you, have to, you have to keep in mind, it's not just like, oh, I can detect everyone's mind. You, you have to, you, basically when you're tele- telepathic, you hear a million voices and you have to like decipher which one's the right one. You know what I mean? Okay. It's like if you were in a big crowd, could you hear one person talking? Yeah. That's something they clarify in X-Men a lot. Like, it's really hard to train being a telepath. Like, that's why Jean Grey she's goes not crazy. Phoenix yet. Like, yeah, that's why that's why Jean Grey goes crazy a lot of times because it's really hard to train a telepath and they're okay. crazy. But, uh, yeah, so uh, they go to the Capitol and uh, and uh, their uh, uncle's like, oh, n- out there, out there, some fire. Now uh, will be our hour. We will strike now. And uh, they're Sunfire's trying to do this. They're trying to do this like at uh, in Washington D.C. to really like humiliate the U.S. Yeah, yeah, this is where we find out that the statesman is a dad, and he's like, and he hears Sunfire talking about, oh, uh, they will feel the wrath of the symbol of the rising sun, and Dash comes in, smacks him, saying, "What kind of unreasoning treason do you speak?" And he's like, "The all quarrels must be forgotten. Do you hear me? Like, let her go. Like, you have to, you have to move on." And he's and he says, "Yes, my father." But deep down, he's like, "I will fucking kill this country." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you know. This is another thing. I, I I think this one was actually pretty good. But I just wish there was a little more nuance in the sense that the dad, like, instead of being like, "Just forget it. Just don't think about it." Like, m- more like the idea should be, we don't forget, but we we accept and like move on. We accept that it was war. Like to just the idea. Of, like, I, just, I, I, I I do think it's purposeful that it's his answers seem uh, unsubstantial now. Until later, like he yeah. he didn't teach some fight properly until it's too late. I okay, think that's the, the point. all right, that, that's fair. I, I like yeah, that. so um, so uh, the X Men are there just trying to find Sapphire. Uh, Jean Grey's friends uh, unable to determine who he is, and then uh, then uh, the dad. Uh, stumbles on the sun again. This time he's wearing sunfire costumes. Like, oh, now I realize. Like it's a page later after. Yeah, yeah. and he's like, oh shit, you're sunfire, and he's like, my son is the dog they call sunfire. And, and Sunfire says, you are too old, too soft to understand what I do, I do for my country. And he just pushes his dad aside and flies out to uh, set fire and everything. And he just, he, re- he rationalizes it, like, his dad has spent too long in America. He forgets the evil they did to his mother, to the homeland. Yeah, he's yeah. too assimilated and he's kind of betrayed his roots. Yeah, he mentions, yeah. my uncle has not let me forget since I was but an infant upon his knee. Like, he was yeah. clearly raised more by his uncle. Yeah. And uh, the X Men uh, show up and they try to fight some fire, but they all try to one v one him. <laughs> yeah, we one v one me, but uh, <laughs> like in real life, one v one thing is pretty stupid. I like that each time too they mention it's like this X Men is out, he can't fight anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like when Iceman fights him, it's like, oh, I didn't throw up that ice shield too soon. It's protecting me, but melts. It's turning into red hot steam. The heat, I can't stand the heat. Yeah, they, they all get knocked out so quickly. He singes his wings. Angel's out. He's too hot. Iceman's out. It, it, is, it is it is kind of ridiculous because like at this point the X Men were a better team than this, but yeah. for convenience sake they are dispatched one by one. But uh, it is for the sake of story, which is cheap. But I do think the final pages make up for yeah. some flaws uh, in this yeah. book. But uh, so yeah, so the X Men are dispatched, and it seems like now Sunfire can just set fire to the capital. And awesomely, I love when he's using his powers, and he's like. Um, you destroyed with heat, and now your capital shall be engulfed by it. The power yeah. of the atom and the power of the sun are one. Like that's yeah. so fucking. Good. It's so fucking cool because the sun is just constant nuclear fusion. It's like, yeah. it's so cool. And but it turns out his son's standing right on uh, his dad. The capital. Uh, his dad. His, <laughs> don't talk to my son or me ever again. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Sunfire's dad, the statesman, 
he's at the Capitol and uh, he's like, okay, burn it then, burn me down too. And Sunfire is like, I-, I can't, I can't do it if you're here. Don't make me make this choice. And he's like, uh, he's like, make it, fucking kill me, kill everyone. And uh, the uncle's like, oh, you know what? I- since you had so much trouble with this uh, sh- uh, Sunfire, I'll do it for you. And he shoots uh, his dad, and his dad falls off the the Capitol after being shot. And Sunfire gets so mad, he kills his uncle right then and there. And the final page uh, is is Sunfire sitting over his dying dad and he's like I, I, I did not mean for this to happen if only I couldn't do the wrong that I've done and Zad says if, if only for the future Shiro not for the past forge the tools of peace from the chains of war and then the police come and they see what's happening and they say we'll wait over there son and the X-Men are there too and they say well we might as well go there's nothing more we can do and yet Shiro's mother was caught in the blast you said and Angel says, yes, that must be why he's a mutant. If only we could have reasoned with him, reached him in time, somehow. And uh, Psychop says, maybe the next one. Yeah, maybe the next one. And they all leave as Sunfire just grieves over his dead dad. It's a very, like, melancholy, sad, and... Yeah. Yeah. This page and, is, like, what makes the comic great. And the thing that's yeah. so rough is, like, the way they say, like, maybe the next one, it shows, like, there'll always be these bitter yeah. mutants. Yep. Yeah. And it also shows that the X-Men completely failed Sunfire in this scenario. Yep. And the final panel is him crying over his dead dad's body while the police just, like, yeah. turn their backs on him. Yeah. And, like, he, even though there's people in the panel, he looks so alone. And I think it is great that that he says, if only I can do the wrong I've done. Like, I wish I could go back. And, but, it, like, the dad's like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. You can't, you can't go back. Yeah, you always look towards what you can fix in the future then. Yeah. We, talked, we talked about how, like, the endings of a lot of the other ones uh, ruin the message. Uh, this one actually it, it it has like it encapsulates it so well. Yeah, this yeah. Is, the ending makes it, and we talked about how like comics are better when a quiet. This is another example of a quiet panels because after Psychop says maybe the next one it's just the last two panels is just Sunfire by, by himself. I think this one also was it was easier to be successful with because even though we're putting this in with Marvel versus discrimination, I'm not sure if this really is discrimination in the same way that the other ones were. It's more well, like, keep in mind, keep in mind, Asian characters at this time were still. Either uh, you know really racist characters with the straw hats and everything, or were kung fu masters. <laughs> okay. Even until even until the seventies, they were still this. Sunfire was a rare exception of an Asian character. Okay, in that context, then I, I definitely appreciate it more because um, I, I liked this one a lot actually when I read it. I just was like, you know, talking about someone who's bitter from a, a war between two countries, you know, twenty years before this, like it's easier to handle that than to deal with yeah. like sexism. But yeah. Fun fact: uh, this was the second to last issue before X Men got canceled. Really? Uh, yeah. Just to, just to show you that sometimes quality books aren't enough to keep a book profitable. Yeah, and Roy Thomas's whole run is like if you like this issue, his whole X Men run is great. See, that's why. Yeah, that's why I was making my comment that I like Roy Thomas as a writer. I think he's pretty good. I think he's kind of hit or miss. For at, me. at least from like the couple that I've read. Again, I haven't read like his Nadir. I don't think he did. He did the Hulk one. Yeah, I know, but that again, I'd still like the writing in that one. It's a dumb story. Okay, that's fine. but I mean it yeah, was it was the hate monger where it's Hitler with a big H on his <laughs> chest shooting lasers at people to make them fight. Yeah, you'll all be racist soon. <laughs> so uh, that wraps up. Which was our? I think we all know which was the number one favorite. Yeah, definitely, 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 definitely Sunfire. Which one was the worst for all of you? For me, it's the letters. No, because it's just but the, mine's the Hulk. Just because I, I read it. When I wasn't expecting it, so that memory always be seared in my mind. <laughs> I think mine's the hate monger. Yeah, I think mine's the hate monger. The thing is, is the letters one. It's not a story in and of itself. It's just them explaining their origin and then like 
pitying But that's Sue. what makes it so shitty to me, because it's just being lectured to that, like, Reed's not sexist, but he super is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, I have one question from Brian, if okay. it's really short. Brian who? This comes from Brian Aarons. Uh, X-Men Brian? X-Men Brian. Oh, what a surprise. <laughs> uh, if you want to reach out to us, Divisive Issues on Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, all that stuff. Uh, what if Harambe was shot by a time traveler to prevent Planet of the Apes from happening? What if? I mean, we then we will never know. So if it, if it happened, that's good for that reason. Okay. But, yeah. I mean, we can't know that, so I, I don't know what to tell you, Brian. <laughs> Harambe? <laughs> Except for Harambe. Yeah, Except for Harambe. Wait, what are you saying? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll catch you up later. We'll, we'll show you some, you some pictures. Oh, no. <laughs> some dicks out. I know what that always means. <laughs> so, and make sure you guys rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. It actually helps a lot more than people think. Yeah, it helps a ton. And it doesn't take too much effort on your end, I want to say. Mm, I mean, I some people so. might take a lot of effort, but we really, really appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Yeah, yeah. I guess I... I guess I should like device issues on Facebook. <laughs> Fuck you. I think you just did like a week ago, you asshole. I'm just kidding. No, it was a few months ago. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> it was like three weeks ago. <laughs> Are we going to do recommendations? Yeah. Sure. Who wants to go first? I'll go first because mine's very simple. Because I include in this episode, I recommend this issue of X-Men and Roy Thomas' X-Men. It's good. Read it. Cool. I am going to recommend my favorite Stanley run, Read Stanley's Silver Surfer. It tackles a lot of social issues really, really, really well, and I think it's Stanley's best work. Also, John Buscema on art, who did one of the ones we were talking about. Avengers. Yes. And it's it's really, really, really good. Yes. If you, if you want to see social issues tackled in a more nuanced way in, both, in many different angles, uh, The Wire is a really good show oh, that yeah. deals with... It's mostly race and... Socioeconomic issues, but um, I think it really handles these kinds of issues without ever being like this is this is fucking trash. And for the feminist side, uh, just read *A Room of One's Own* by Virginia Woolf. It's just that's that's all. you don't need to read any feminist comics. Just read that. Or if you want to read feminist comics, this read, read more something out of after the '90s or 2000s. Preferably, read *Color Purple* yeah. by what's her name? <laughs> yeah. Or, Purple Rain. Or Fun Home uh, by Alison Bechtel. I mean, that's that's a comic that actually talks, that deals with uh, issues of sexuality and, you know, whatever. Whatever. Better. All that bullshit. That, all that SJW bullshit. Alice Walker. She was the writer of The Color Purple. That's my recommendation. Just read feminist literature. Yeah. 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 This does not count, what we read today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Uh, if, okay, I'm going to have a second recommendation real quick. If you want a really great uh, female-driven comic book. Read Greg Rucka's Batwoman. That's a good one. Also deals with sexuality. Yeah, uh, uh, black, 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 black woman. <laughs> Batwoman's uh, a lesbian character, too, so that's uh, uh, another SGW thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great. It's great. I love, I love Wonder Woman. Batwoman. I fucking I can't say that. <laughs> His Wonder Woman's also great, too, so whatever. Yeah. I love okay. uh, Greg Rucka. So, thank you, guys. Me slide. Me slide. Me like woman. <laughs> <laughs> Me, male chauvinist pig. <laughs> Thank you guys for taking this walk down memory lane. Next week, DC versus yeah. discrimination. Does, does DC do it better? Spoilers, no. <laughs> I mean, could they do it worse? Oh, spoilers, yes. Yes. I'm looking forward to seeing how they do it worse. Thank you guys for listening to Divisive Issues. I've been Cannibal Quicksilver. I've been a chauvinist pig. I've been a tall Timmy. <laughs> and I've been the vengeful Valkyrie. Stay in continuity.